Well, I hope you guys are feeling God's presence and how he's moving in incredible ways. We're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, I absolutely am super excited about what God has to share through me, through his word, through his scripture, and what he wants to communicate. Those of you that are watching online, like I'm stoked about this message. This is going to be incredible. So this is week two of a series that we're diving into on identity. You know, when you think about your identity, it's really who we are, who we're made to be. Why do we exist? And so we're touching on a number of different things Regarding that, last week I talked about how we can have purpose in our identity because we want purpose. We want to know what we're supposed to do and the direction we're supposed to go. And so today I'm going to flip it up a little bit, a little bit different. I'm going to talk about the aspect of surrender, how we can actually have surrender in our lives and that will help us to identify who we are in the Lord. Uh, but before I get diving into the scripture, I want to pause and just pray that the Lord would communicate. And so God, we love you so much. Father, would you speak through your word, through your scripture, through your spirit. Lord, as, we, as I talk through the microphone, Lord, I pray for the, your Holy Spirit to just be in our mind and in our hearts and to that you would communicate in our ears what you have for us individually, that your word would come alive to us in a powerful way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I became a lead pastor and Pastor Nicole and I launched out on this church, I did a number of different things. I was an assistant pastor for a little while, but even before that, I was a youth pastor for about six years and I absolutely loved it. Loved it for just, just all the things, all the fun, all the involvement in teenagers' lives and middle schoolers. Well, one of the things that we did back in the day, and it still happens now, is we did paintball. Like, I don't know if you've ever done paintball before, but it's where you get to shoot people for fun. You know, you splatter them and, it, and it's so much fun. Like, you get bruises and whelps and you're sweaty and you're dirty and you've got to wear a mask so you don't lose an eye. Like I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Maybe you've played it or seen other people and you're going, why would you love that? That's insane. Yeah, it was a little bit crazy, but man, so there was this one interesting part about playing paintball though that would happen all the time is, and they, so what they had was this, they call it a surrender rule. And so literally the reason they have this is because if somebody would sneak up on you and you didn't know that they were there, if they were right on top of you, they could like shoot you at point blank range and you would die. Like it'd be terrible and it just, it hurts so bad. And, and so like literally you, you have to, you can surrender in that moment. And, and I love this because, you know, back in the day, I, I'll never ever forget, like I was playing in this cute, petite, little eighth grade girl, you know, she's like sneaking behind, tr you know, trees that are as white as my finger. And like, she sneaks up on me and it was like the demon comes out inside of her. Surrender, Pastor Aaron. I'm like, okay, okay, I surrender. You know, I just, I can't even, like, she was gonna do, 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 all over me. I go, I give up, I surrender, you know? And so I'm so thankful for the surrender rule. But man, when, when you understand, or when you think about the word surrender, it just, it has such a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? You know, because when we think about surrender, we go, oh, I'm defeated. I've got to wave the white flag. You know, you won kind of thing. But what I want to share is I want to talk about surrender from a spiritual perspective. Because when we look at it through God's eyes and, and from our spirit, I, I believe that we'll recognize something different than maybe the feeling that we get a lot uh, from experiencing that. And so the reason I want to address this is because if we don't experience surrender from a spiritual perspective, what we're then basically saying to the Lord is, I'm not choosing to surrender. I actually want to choose to be in control. And so that's where we look at God and we go, hey, you know, that, that, you're great. That's wonderful. But 
there's these particular areas that I want to be in control. And I know some of you relate and you get it and you understand where it's like, hey, I've got to control this particular area of my life. And so we go, hey, you know, it's okay for me to be controlling. I'm a type A personality or I'm organized. So I, I like things the way that they are. And, or, or it's like, hey, being controlling is okay because it causes me to have a schedule and it helps everybody else to know what they're supposed to do. And it makes the world be a better place as long as they do what I tell them to do. Like that's controlling and that's what it looks like. And, and so if you would be so willing, uh, I have my hand in the air. If you are a person that struggles with control a little bit or you're a little controlling, go ahead and put your hand up. You know, just night, yeah, absolutely, so many of us. I'm so glad you're here with me. Like we've got therapy session we're in right now and we'll work through it. You know, I, I remember talking to a lady one time and we were, for whatever reason, we were talking about like cleaning, like cleaning the house, cleaning the bathroom. And she admitted to me that she said, hey, I clean my bathroom before I go to bed. And I'm like, okay, like that's great. But then when I get up, I clean it again. I'm going, what in the world? Like who used your bathroom in the middle of the night that you felt like you needed to clean it again? And so to me, like I'm going, wow. So that's, that's a little bit OCD, isn't it? But here's the deal. When we talk about being controlling, it's a little bit obsessive, isn't it? I mean, that, that's what comes out. And so I just, I wanna admit to you, I'm gonna be a little bit vulnerable in this. So that, that's something that I struggle with. And so there are a few particulars that I have that I really like to control. One of them is money. You know, I love to control the money in our household and personal spending. And so I have this thing that I like to say, I call it spending freeze. I say, you know, we, we, we've really gotta tighten up. We need to have spending freeze. But the, the problem is the other half of us in Aaron and Nicole, like we're, we're not all on board with spending freeze. And so that's a battle for me, you know, just with control. And one of the other things is I, I, I'm a little bit controlling when it comes to driving. So I would much rather be driving and be the one behind the wheel because I, I feel like I can manage the vehicle and stuff. But if I'm in the passenger side, I'm, I'm like cringing. I wish that, you know, there's a break on the floorboard that I could like tell you to turn or where to go. Like it literally makes me crawl in my skin. Sometimes I just close my eyes so I could get there. And, and all of the parents of 15-year-olds of teenagers that just got their permit, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so one of the other things that I, I love to control is the temperature of that the air conditioner is set at. Like anybody else, like I just, that's my thing. You, we all have a thing, like I have a thing. And so you probably have a thing that you control that you're very, very particular about. And so we try to control sometimes almost everything and everyone. We try and control our schedule and, your, and their schedule. We try and control our employees. We try and control our friends and their decisions. Every single thing in our life. Now, so obviously I've, I've made some jokes and we laugh about it and I get it. And so that, but man, I'll tell you, when you begin to look at that from a spiritual perspective, it actually shows and it reflects that we have a spiritual problem when we're trying to control everyone around us. And so I believe that we each have the ability to choose surrender over control. Because I believe that God has a plan for our life. I believe that God puts things in front of us. And so if we can grab a hold of that, I think that's absolutely amazing and powerful. In fact, I wanna share with you a few passages of scripture about this exact thing. It's Proverbs 3, starting in verse five. It says, trust in the Lord with, everybody say it out loud, all 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So when you read these verses, I mean, the language in these verses does not leave any confusion as to how much we're supposed to trust. It is 100%. It's all, in fact, it's repeated in that verse. We've got to get it. We've got to understand. And so maybe you have people in your life that you trust. I know I do. I have really close friends from different phases of my life. And, and I just, I love them. I'm, I still stay in contact with many of them. I absolutely love that, you know, just our friendship. And so because of that friendship, I trust them. You know, I trust them explicitly. I've, uh, here, in, here in Grace Church, you know, some of my best friends are on the lead team. Like th those are the, that's the board of elders that, that help us with financial decisions and spiritual decisions. And we talk about it. And so like, I love them and who they are and I trust them so much. And we have incredible volunteers and, and I trust them so much. And so I, I choose to surround myself with people, with high quality people. And so one of the ways that I'll trust people is with my truck. So like I, I have a truck and, and the reason this is a big deal is because for 19 years, I always wanted a truck. And so then finally we got to the place where I got a truck. So now like my friends, the, the ones that are my best friends that I really trust, I'll actually give them the keys to my truck. And so if you're a truck person, you know exactly what I'm talking, if you're a motorcycle person, you know, you're like, hey, like there's a group of us, like we're truck people and we know how important it is. And so when I pull out my keys and I offer my truck to you, that means I trust you just explicitly. But here's the reality, that usually depends on the depth of our relationship. Does it not? And that's fair. That's fair to say. Uh, I, we absolutely get that and, and understand. So when we're reading a verse that talks about trusting God, I believe we can fully trust him when we fully know him. And so the question I want to ask you is, how well do you know the Lord? Because if you know him really well, then you're willing to trust him with all and everything. And so if you're struggling with certain particular areas that you wanna, want to remain in control, it might be just one of those ways that we need to recognize an indicator for us that we don't really trust him. And so we've got to know him in order to trust him. And, and the thing that is so, so cool about our heavenly father is he actually wants to be known by us. He doesn't want us to, to think that, we're, that he's constantly angry at us or he's far away and distant. He literally wants to be known by us. And there's a common verse that sometimes people use and it's common and, and I'll read the first part and you may recognize it, but then the second part is really what I wanna focus on. And so it's Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 11. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. They're to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And so God wants to be known, but we've got to look after him with all, like wholeheartedly, everything that we are, looking after him, searching after him, seeking him in all that he is. And then when we get to that place, we can truly trust him. And then we have the incredible relationship. And when we're at that place, I believe something amazing happens. 
that we can walk into this place where we now begin a life of surrender. Instead of trying to control and protect, we literally relinquish that control over to the Lord and surrender, turning everything over to him, our situation, our family, our kids, our life, our business, our finances, our resources that he puts in our hands, everything. Now, it's great to say that out loud. And maybe you go, wow, that's great. The problem is when we begin to move in that direction, there, we, we face some resistance. And that resistance is actually fear. So if you're a person that you're willing to admit that you like to control things, when we begin to take a step back and surrender, that fear rises up inside of us. So what happens is we go, oh my gosh, I'm now losing control. Right, you know what I'm talking about? So fear sets in and then we, we go, oh, like I've, I've got to get back into control. Why? Because it feels chaotic. It feels crazy. We're going, oh, like I'm, I, I, I've always been in control and now I'm supposed to surrender, but I really don't want to. Can I, can I hold on to this one particular thing? It feels just crazy. And sometimes if we're totally honest, we can't handle it. Like it's beyond our ability, we can't handle that and we want control back. And so what happens is we find ourselves in this cycle of fear. Instead of turning things over to God, we find ourselves going back and forth in this repetitive nature and the fear that comes in. And in doing that, we basically push God out because we continue to hold on and want to control. So what I wanna do is I wanna dive into a, a particular passage of scripture that reveals this in a very powerful way. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be up on the screen, but I wanna take a look at King David because King David was incredible, incredible man, passionate for the Lord, but at times he reveals this obsessive need to control. And we're gonna take a look at one of those. And so let me give you a little bit of background though before we dive into these verses. So King David you know, was, was very young when he was anointed to be king over Israel. King Saul was actually in charge when David was, was anointed to, to take over. So it took a little while for that transition to take place. But David knew, like he was to be the one. God had picked him. Saul wasn't doing a great job. Fine, that, no problem. We're gonna move you out, move David in. And so David is doing a great job as king. He's incredible, passionate for the Lord. But he gets to this place where he's been king for a little while. And unfortunately, he enters into a place of complacency. And so what you need to know that for whatever reason, probably because of weather, the, the, the environment, the, the humidity, the rain, you know, so in the spring is when the kings would go off to war with their armies. And so that would normally happen, but what we're gonna find is that in chapter 11, when David would normally do that, because he was a military leader, he grew up in that, David chooses to stay home. So all the men, all the husbands, all the fathers, all the cousins, uncles, you know, nephews, nieces, uh, uh, grandsons, like kind of during that time, during that era, the men went off to war and that was part of the deal. But David, if you can kind of understand this concept, David is at, in Jerusalem staying at home with all the women of Israel all by himself. And so we un need to understand that he wasn't where he was supposed to be, but he thought he was in control. And so let's take a look. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse two. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed, 
and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And so when you look at these verses, we get it. Like we totally understand, it's very obvious. He had just taken a nap. Well, why was he so tired? I don't know. He didn't, he's not really doing anything. He's hanging out in the palace. Complacency had set in. So, oh, you know, I just got up from the nap. He's walking out on his balcony and he, let's just say, notices the view of what's going on. So David is supposed to be out at battle. He's supposed to be out in the battlefield with all of his other brother at arms and the army and the military and the generals. But David's taking a nap. Instead of being where he's supposed to be, he's taking a nap. And we, we have to be aware that idle time in our life will bring mischief. Isn't that just the reality? And so I want to share a couple of different points with you about this. And the first one is that control leads to unnecessary decisions. And so the, the way that this passage unfolds, David notices, you know, this woman taking a bath. And he, he calls for her, has her brought to the palace, and he sleeps with her. So then she's there, he sends her back home, and then a short period of time passes. And then she contacts him back. I'm pregnant. And so here's the deal. It's, it sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? Because it, 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 it is, it's crazy, it's absolutely insane. So she says, hey, I'm pregnant. And so here's the deal. David's the, basically the only man in the city, and obviously Bathsheba was there with her. Bathsheba's husband is off to war, so it's like, it, there's no confusion. You know, the kind of point fingers, is it him, is it him, is it her, I don't know. Like, no, 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 no confusion whatsoever. And this is David, okay? David is spoken as being a man after God's own heart. And yet, because of complacency, he finds him in this place. God picked him, anointed him as a young teenager to be the king, and he finds himself in this place. And now he's heading down a path that he probably at one point in time swore that he would never go down. Can't you see that? Like as, as, a, as a young teenager, as a 20-something, as a new king, he probably made these declarations to the Lord. God, I will never become that type of person. And here he finds himself heading in exactly what he probably despised at one point in time. And so he gets the news from Bathsheba. What does he do? I mean, oh my gosh, what do you do? <laughs> Just like all of us, he starts going crazy. He starts going nuts. He's stressed out. What in the world? Like, oh my gosh. Like, what am I going to do? He's caught. He's caught. What's going to happen? Who, who's going to find out? Who's going to hear about it? And so this guy's got control issues. We know that. We'll see that. So what does he do? As a person with a controlling personality, what is he going to do? I mean, if you're, if you're that person that struggles that, what, what would be the answer? And so I would just say it leads to unnecessary decisions. And when we make those decisions, it leads to more unnecessary controlling decisions. Because he basically gets in this place where he starts doing damage control. Right? I mean, we get it. It's damage control. He grabs his cell phone, dials up the general. He's like, hey, Joab. You, Joab was the general. He's like, you've got to do me a favor. You've got to send me Uriah. Because Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. Like, hey, tell him to come back. And so Joab tells David exactly what the general would say. Uh, excuse me, Uriah's out on the battlefield. 
I mean, so the dude was probably had a, had a shield and a sword at that time that David contacted him. And he's like, what are you talking about? That man is exactly where he's supposed to be. But because of the king and his authority and the control that he's walking through, Uriah is then brought back from the battlefield. And so the whole idea, what David was trying to do is he's like, hey, He's been gone for a little while. He'll come back home. You know, he'll, he'll be with his wife. And so David's trying so badly to cover this whole thing up. But the thing is that's interesting is he didn't count on Uriah's character. So David calls back Uriah, tries to send him to, to be with his wife, and Uriah won't have anything to do with that. He's like, no, 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 no. All my brothers are out, like, sleeping on the, on the, in a field in a tent. I can't indulge in this right now. I mean, oh, I love it when men stand up and have that incredible character like that. So David tried to send him home. He wouldn't go. And then we find ourselves in point number two, where it's, we go to great lengths to control. And we find out what happens in verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. This letter instructed Joab Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Like this is what you're going to do. You take that man's wife, then you send him to go and to be killed. I mean, so the thing that is absolutely insane, I mean, he's making so many controlling decisions. This thing is spiraled out of control. This is murder. He literally is walking down this path where he's willing to have this person murdered because of his authority and power. And, and so, I mean, killing this good guy who was where he was supposed to be because he got his wife pregnant. And that's what's, that's what's unfolding. And on top of that, David writes this letter and then gives it to Uriah. Because back then, you know, if you've seen movies, they would put wax on the letter and the king would put his ring signet so nobody could open it unless it's, you know, the person that the letter is addressed to. So Uriah's carrying the letter that has his own death wish in it. I mean, talk about just demented and controlling. It's just the orders that are gonna kill, have this man killed. He carries himself to the general. Now, so I get it. You know, many of you raise your hand. I had my hand up about being controlling. And I, I think many of us are a little bit more controlling than we want to admit. Now, this situation is crazy. It's absolutely insane. And I get it. So it's easy for you and I to go, I'm not that bad. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not that bad. I really, it's, it's not that much of a problem. I'm okay. But here's what I want to press in a little bit. If you'd allow me just into your life, what's the root cause that you and I have that, that, that where we want to control? Why do we feel like we need to control? Why is it every person, every schedule, every situation, we've got to be involved in it? The answer is fear. The reason we want so badly to control everyone around us is because we're afraid of what might happen if we're not in control. So fear causes us to be in control. Now, you, at this point in time, you might be seized with fear in your life. 
You're finding it, you're admitting to it, you recognize it, you see it. You might be fearful because what you're doing might get found out. You're going, oh my gosh, I'm in damage control right now. What should I do? This is crazy. Maybe you're afraid that your marriage isn't going to make it, so you're trying to control everything in that relationship. Maybe you're a student and you're afraid of what this semester might bring. You know, if you say, hey, this is who I am, this is the church that I go to, maybe they'll look at you a little bit differently. So you're trying to control and navigate that a little bit. Maybe you're a single person and you're fearful that you won't get married, you won't meet that person. So you find somebody and you settle for them, hoping that at some point in time you can change them. And all the married people laugh and snicker because I want to share with you, single person, whether you're divorced or single, you can't change them as much as you want to try. Like only the Lord, you can pray for them and God might change them, no doubt, but you cannot do that. But we think we can. So we try and control and I'll fix them and I'll work hard. I'll work even harder to make it happen. So that way I can make them do what I want. And so let me just ask you, where are you trying to control in your life right now? What person, what situation, what employee, what child in your family are you trying to control? And so here's what I wanna implore and the reason I'm talking about this because in our identity, if we recognize we control, what if instead of choosing that route that we choose surrender instead? Because if we are trying to be control, we're blocking God out of those particular areas. But if we actually surrender everything to him, we're inviting him and trusting him to do all that he wants. And so the fourth thing that I wanna share with you, this is my final point, is that surrender leads to freedom. You know, and that's why I talked about the whole paintball thing and the white flag, because we think of surrender as a bad thing. But surrender, when you're talking about it in a spiritual light, it's actually a great thing. It's in fact what the Lord wants. I'm gonna give you one of the best examples in scripture of surrender, and that's Christ himself. So Jesus, God's son, is a great example of this because Jesus literally is deity. He is God. And so he has all power, all authority, over the angels, over people, over situations, healing, signs, wonders, miracles. Jesus can do any of it, no problem whatsoever. And yet, Jesus chooses to surrender and lay his life down as a ransom for us. And so let me paint this picture a little bit. So Jesus dies on a cross. We know that, we understand the crucifixion. But before the crucifixion, there was a period of time when Jesus was surrounding himself with the disciples. The Last Supper, like those were all his tight buddies. Like he loved them and cared so much about them. And so then after the Last Supper, they, they actually traveled out just, just through a valley over to what's called the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's a garden. There's trees, there's foliage, there's vegetation, beautiful area, you know, just outside the, the, the city gate of Jerusalem. And so he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane with his best friends. And they're hanging out. But Jesus knows what's coming and what's going to happen. And so let's take a look in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 38. It says this. He told them, he said, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. 
stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed down with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And so here you have Jesus in the garden. Can't you just see like he's kneeling down, like then like kind of going down to all fours and then he ends up with his face in the grass, like there in the garden. It probably was beautiful and lush, but can you just, he talks about that his soul was crushed to the point of death. But the thing that's incredible and so powerful is even in that moment, Jesus's identity is fully in the Father, completely in the Father. Jesus is not questioning who he is, what he's supposed to do. He's not trying to control. Now he's going, if there's any other way, please. In fact, three different times, if you read that passage and continue, three different times he comes back and basically says the same thing. If there's any way that this doesn't have to happen, please, but his identity's in the Father. So he's not trying to control. God, your will be done. And so in that, surrendering, even his life, knowing he's gonna face torture and physical death, I will do that, Father, because that's what you have for me. And to me, I just, I look at the gravity of this moment. He, of course he's down on his face. Can you imagine the weight of the, and the pressure? And Because we're talking about all the sin from all humanity for all time and this disconnect from the Father. So he was taking on our sin. He became sin so that we could have forgiveness. So that heaviness of all humanity. <laughs> and he had done nothing wrong. He had done nothing wrong. And yet he willingly steps into this place of surrender. And the thing that's so powerful is when he surrendered his life, you and I received freedom. I don't know if you recognize that yet or not, but so because of Christ's death and, and him shedding his blood and him dying and then rising again back to life, we get to experience freedom. And so we get to experience freedom from our sin and we get to experience freedom from death. So do, does our physical body die? Yes, at some point in time, but our spirit is what remains for eternity. So our spirit gets to live forever. And the Bible is very clear that when we believe in Jesus and we declare him Lord of our life, that our spirit will be saved, be made new, and that we get to live in eternity in heaven with the Lord. So yes, I mean, that, that is everything that was on the line when he surrendered. And so I just need you to understand, yes, we struggle with control. We need surrender. But why was this moment so important? And really it's because of guilt. You and I are guilty because of the things that we've ever done wrong. And the list is long. We don't want people to know about that list and all those things. All that guilt, Jesus takes it on himself, face down in the ground. Is this the only way? If it is, then I'll willingly do that. And so when you and I have guilt, we kind of have one of two options. When we're guilty, we can step forward and take responsibility and say, you know what? I'm guilty. And then we move towards an apology, right? Hey, I'm so sorry. 
I'm guilty, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that. And so in that, Scripture talks about when we acknowledge our sin and we confess that, we get forgiveness. And so when we walk in, we, we go, oh yes, I'm guilty, I need forgiveness. But when we don't move that direction and we go, yeah, I'm guilty, but... I'm gonna try and do this. I'm gonna try and coerce them. I'm gonna try and justify what I did so it doesn't seem that bad. That's control. The Lord is moving us towards surrender and the admission of our sin and our guilt. And the thing that's incredible is we don't carry the guilt. So I'm not painting that as a bad thing because freedom comes as a result of us surrendering to the Lord and what he has. And so I just, maybe, just maybe, you need to do that. Maybe today's the day where you go, man, you are saying exactly what I needed to hear. Who told you? Did did my roommate tell you? Did my spouse send an email? Like, how did you know? Like, they did. They sent me an email. Aaron, I great. No, just kidding. So, like, it's a big deal. It's so important. You know, as I was praying, I'm like, God, what do you have for us? And so it's identity and surrender. You can have that surrender, but it ultimately is us surrendering to the Lord with everything. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that, where we're gonna pray together and and I'll lead you in a prayer where you can pray and say, God, I need that. Maybe you can make a commitment towards the Lord and decide to follow after him. Maybe you know that you're not following after God in the right way and you need to recommit. Maybe you did when you were younger and things kind of went sideways and you need to get back on track. That's exactly what I'm talking about. In just a second, I'll have you raise your hand. But what I wanna do first is, could everybody here in the auditorium close your eyes? Like, go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes, get in this place of reverence before in the Lord. Because I'm going to ask people to raise their hand, but I don't want them to feel embarrassed. Nobody's looking around. This is between you and God. And so if that's you, if you knew, you're like, wow, and, and you feel just this, maybe it's the, just something inside of you. Maybe it's goosebumps or something that feels like just heat or just your heart is beating fast. Like, I would just say that, man, that's the Holy Spirit moving. And so if you go, if you feel like that's you, you need to choose surrender in your life, go ahead and slip your hand up for me. Nobody's looking around, just say, yeah, I need to surrender to Jesus. I need him, go ahead and put it up. You know, if you wanna give me a half arm, like elbow down, I'm cool with that, because this is between you and God. Just say, I know that I need to surrender and turn my life over to him. So what I'm gonna do right now, you can put your hand down, I'm gonna pray, and if you would just pray along with me, and then I'll pray for all of us together. If you just know that you need to surrender your life to Christ, pray something like this. Maybe you say, God, I know I need you. God, I'm desperate for you. Jesus, thank you so much for coming for me, that you were willing to die, that you were tortured, but you rose again and you showed your power and victory over sin and death. And so Jesus, I ask that you would come into my life, that you would make me new, that you would give me a fresh start, that you would give me a new beginning. I surrender to you and your will. Would you change me once and for all? I believe that you're God's son. Would you come into my life? And Father, I just wanna pray a blessing on all of us, Lord, in this pursuit that we're on for our identity. Really, Lord, it's our identity in you. And so, Father, we just admit that we, we have been controlling. And, Lord, it's, it's unnecessary. Uh, we think we do. We think we want to. God, would you help us to please recognize those times and then kind of take a step back 
and to really begin to focus on the spiritual side to all of this. Lord, that we would be able to think differently, process differently, feel differently. Lord, ultimately that your spirit would resonate with our spirit, that we would have this intimate spiritual connection. And Lord, that we would surrender to you. And Lord, in that moment, would you give us your word, your, your promise, your, just the reality of who you are, that you would meet us in that intimate place of vulnerability and that we can know you so that we might trust you more. Lord, you are so powerful. We ask that you pour out your spirit continually on us. In Jesus' name, amen.